Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. Hi guys, welcome back. Last week, I was here with Munir Simpson, and we talked about non-pharmacological interventions for hypertension. Ah, what a mouthful. So, um, ways to lower your blood pressure without medication or ways to prevent developing high blood pressure. Um, I guess I, I need to be really careful with my words here because none of the things we talked about were uh, intended to be used in lieu of blood pressure medication. If you've been diagnosed and prescribed uh, medication for hypertension, then those are practices that you can put into place to hopefully uh, get your pressure under control and uh, maybe even taper down or get off some medication. But you're only going to do that at the direction of your primary care provider, cardiologist, or whoever else is taking care of you. So I got a question that was a really good question last week. Uh, Someone wrote in and said, I check my blood pressures at the pharmacy and it always tells me I have stage one hypertension. What does that mean and what do I do next? That is such a wonderful question. Um, I think it's great that those little um, centers have been put into a lot of retail pharmacies where people can just sit down and put their arm in the sleeve, follow the directions and get a blood pressure reading. A um, couple things I want to say about that. If that's all you have access to, to record your blood pressures, great. Um, record it on some kind of a log. It could just be a, a piece of paper, the back of a receipt, but put the date, put the time and where you took the blood pressure reading at. And then once you get a decent sized log, um, you know, maybe a couple times a week readings for a couple weeks. Then you want to make sure you bring that information with you to your primary care provider um, or your your doctor, your nurse practitioner, your PA or whomever that you see and and bring those, I call them hot sheets. (laughs) I remember when the movie Men in Black came out and they used to read like the National Enquirer or whatever and, and that was like the actual alien news. Weird side note, sorry. So yeah, bring your hot sheets into your appointment and let your clinician review them and make a decision from there with what needs to be done. But that was such a great question. If you don't have a primary care provider, um, I strongly recommend talking to friends and family, calling the number on the back of an insurance card, or checking out freeclinics.com for affordable health care near you. Uh, cuff size matters, so don't be too up in arms if your numbers are really high and the machine freaks you out. Uh, if you use a cuff that's too small, it will give you a too high reading. If you use a cuff that's too big, it will give you a too low reading. And what we really want is an accurate reading. 
I recommend the Omron Upper Arm Cuff. You can get that on Amazon. Watch the specials or the, you know, the deal of the day. I was able to get a really cool Bluetooth Omron um, Upper Arm Cuff and it sends the recordings to my phone and keeps a log for me that includes the date, the time, uh, my heart rate, and my blood pressure. And those are really important numbers to bring to your provider visit. Um, Time of day matters because sometimes when I'm medicating somebody for blood pressure, I'll notice, I'll look at their log and I notice that their numbers are really not well controlled in the morning, but they're really well controlled in the evening. So sometimes we have to switch around uh, what pills they take when or split the dose where they take half of the pill in the morning and half of the pill in the evening. But anyway, I thought that was a really great question. Thank you for your question, uh, Lindsay in Georgia. All right, so this week we're kind of getting into uh, ways that you can know that you're at risk for hypertension if you don't have access to a blood pressure cuff or to a, a doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant. Some ways to know that you are at risk for hypertension. And guys, when I say at risk, I mean, you may be hypertensive and just not know it. Because remember, this is a condition that doesn't make itself known until there's a big problem. So here's some things that you can know. If you're overweight, most of us know if we're overweight. And I'm not talking about thick. I'm talking about you don't exercise. You have aches and pains in your body you have roles somewhere, you know, you're, you're overweight and you know, you're overweight. It's, it's beyond the point of cuteness, then probably you are, um, at risk for hypertension, if not hypertensive. Now, before somebody writes in and talks to me about body shaming, I'm talking about health. I'm not talking about looks for myself. The heaviest I've ever been in my life was also the most beautiful I ever felt. You could not tell me nothing. The curves was banging. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just, I felt so feminine and beautiful. And so I'm not putting anybody down saying you don't look good. I'm saying from a health perspective, are you overweight? And one good way to know is do you exercise? You know, if you're not intentionally exercising uh, three or more times a week, then you're probably, you, you might be overweight. And overweight obesity puts us at risk for hypertension, no matter how good we look. Um, Another way that you may know that you're at risk is if you smoke cigarettes. Smoking, it's a stimulant, you know, and it, it raises the tension and pressure in our vascular system. It also creates a a bad environment in your vessels, um, puts you at risk for a lot of things, uh, as well as, you know, lung issues as well. So if you're a smoker, you might be hypertensive. So what am I saying? Throw your hands in the air, quit smoking today. I'm saying just be aware and maybe, you know, get checked out. Find out if if you have high blood pressure. If you drink alcohol um, more than what the uh, recognized allowed daily alcohol intake is, which by the way is one drink a day for women and two drinks a day for men, Life is so unfair. How do men 
mess around and get two whole drinks and women just get one. I mean, there's some women that are men's size. Anyway, that's what's recommended. When it comes to the size of your drink, that really matters. My wine drink is probably two drinks. So I can't do that every day because then I'm way over what's recommended, right? And that puts you at risk for hypertension, um, amongst other things. Um, so there's weight, there's smoking, there's alcohol. There's also your family history. Don't shoot me. I know that I always say genes get too much credit. Habits are passed down too, but that's where our habits come from. They come from our, uh, childhood home who prepared your food when you were younger you may have learned to cook from your mother who learned to cook from her mother. And so a thing that you can do to assess the risk of hypertension for you personally is make a little chart. Name your grandparents and your parents and yourself. And if you're an adult, your adult siblings. If you're a young adult, maybe throw your aunties and uncles in there. And then just for each person, document whether they are living or not, and then document what chronic illnesses they have or what do they take medications or get regular treatments for, and if they have passed on what they passed away from. When you start to identify trends, say your grandmother died from a stroke, your mother takes blood pressure medication, and so does your auntie, there you have it. You're at risk for hypertension. And it may not be genetic. It may just be the family habits and the environment that you were raised in. I mean, culturally, look at this new Popeyes and Chick-fil-A thing going on right now. As a culture, there are things that we do um, that we get really excited about that affect us differently. So that's the value in looking at the people in your family and their situation. All right, you guys, I'm really excited about a new segment of the podcast coming right up. I hope that you'll give me feedback. Let me know how it lands with you. Um, Just want to break things up and make it a little more easy to listen to and retain. Uh, My voice, I've been told, is very um, sleepy or soothing or that y'all are out there falling asleep while I'm giving you this information. So I figure it's time to mix it up. Let me keep your attention and I'll be right back after the new segment. Hey guys, welcome to Community Rounds, the segment of the podcast where we talk about what's going on in the community and develop a plan of care. Regardless of where you're at in the nation, your kids probably just went or are getting ready to go back to school. One of the things you can do to get them prepared to go back to school is start putting them to bed earlier. About two hours before your intended bedtime, try to turn all those screens off and let them wind down. A great way to wind down is with a book. Head over to your city library and maybe get a book about the upcoming school year where the main character is a child their age getting ready to go back to school or having a a school experience. You're also going to want to schedule a well child check if you haven't already. Well child checks are done annually to assess the development physically and cognitively of your kids. 
For younger children, babies and preschoolers, they can be more often than annually. But for school-age kids, middle school, high schoolers, and even your college students, they should be having these wellness visits once a year. You can expect to have a discussion about immunizations, about their physical health, habits like smoking, drinking alcohol, whether or not they're sexually active, and how to prepare for the upcoming developmental phases. Now, I know immunizations is a pretty controversial topic, but I also believe in herd immunity. Herd immunity is when most of the people around you are well, so the person who isn't able to be immunized due to an allergy or a weakened immune system doesn't have to worry about being exposed. When immunization numbers fall off, more people become ill, and it just raises the risk for the people who are not able to immunize of getting sick. We don't want our community members sick, especially our really young people and our elderly. So whether you agree to immunize or not, expect that conversation to come up. There will also be likely a head-to-toe physical examination, including a vision test and a hearing test. These are really important because when we catch things early, we can connect you to services early and you can get the help you need for your child. Lastly, if your student is an athlete, they may be asked to do some special things like duck walking or have a more extensive examination of their heart. Don't be upset if they're not cleared to play their sport. It means the clinician found something that needs further workup for your kid to safely participate. And for college students, get acquainted with your health center. Know where it is at, how to access services, what services are available. Parents, this is something you can do as well. You know you're gonna get the phone call because your student is really anxious about upcoming finals or a breakup or something else when you just can't be there. It's heartbreaking. It's really hard because all we wanna do is parents, right? But this is their transitional period where they're learning how to become independent, self-sufficient adults, know what services are available and how to direct them to those services. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, I'm back. Um, I'm going to wrap up this discussion about hypertension with talking to you guys about the medications. Um, I know that we do not love taking pills. Um, who does? I, I hate taking them myself, and, and I do take medication for hypertension. Uh, mind you, my mother is hypertensive. My father was hypertensive, and uh, I lost both of my paternal grandparents due to vascular diseases. Uh, so you can, you know, vascular diseases, blood vessels, so that's where the high pressure is in the vessels. Um, so I have that risk and I just have to do what I have to do, uh, which for me includes taking medication. Um, and it definitely sucks. There's like a period of depression where, you know, I just felt like, no, I bet I was an athlete my whole life. I played volleyball, basketball, ran track. You know, I am not a smoker. I just, it's just like super frustrating. Right. But 
it is what it is. And my grandmother died at 35 or 34. My dad's mom was 34 years old when she died from an aneurysm. My dad's dad was 67 when he died from kidney failure. These are complications of hypertension. My father, uh, my amazing, incredible daddy, died at 64, also from kidney failure, which is a complication of hypertension. So, you know, I could be over here like, oh, I don't want to take these pills. They're just trying to line big pharma's pockets and all this and that. Um, but really, I have children. I have a husband, I have friends and family, and I have a life. Like sometimes I have to stop myself from describing myself in my roles and realize that I have a personhood too. And just even if I had no husband or no children or no friends, uh, I deserve to be able to live a life and enjoy a life that chronic illness, especially when it gets to like the end stages when we're talking about kidney failure and strokes and things like that. They rob you of your ability to live life to the fullest. So I'm not with it. I just take my pills. I want to go over some of the known and common uh, side effects of these medications. And I will link in the show notes a link to the American Heart Association's um, website with the different types of blood pressure medications and classes if you want to really get into all of that. Um, but he, some of the side effects that you may experience with blood pressure medications um it include dizziness and lightheadedness. Uh, you're used to walking around with a higher blood pressure and suddenly that's taken down. It may You may have more symptoms of low blood pressure than you ever did of high blood pressure. If that becomes an issue or just something that is difficult to manage, make sure you let your uh, primary care provider know that. Um, also, if you have a way of checking your blood pressure, check it when you are having that symptom, change position slowly, going from sitting to standing or getting out of bed first thing in the morning. Uh, once you've been sitting for a significant amount of time, just try to change position slowly. Sometimes um, people just feel really fatigued and tired. And again, that's, you know, all the pressure in your system coming down. This is what normally happens with people who are not walking around hypertensive and it, it takes some getting used to uh, because we're used to being under so much pressure we're used to functioning so highly um, all the time and then suddenly everything is relaxed I call it the hot tub effect <laughs> um, because you know you get in a hot tub and your vessels dilate and you just have that kind of sleepy feeling that's normal with um, when you when you're first having your blood pressure treated uh, it could be a sign that you're overtreated. And so again, it's a really good idea to follow up and let your clinician know uh, how you're feeling and what you're dealing with. Uh, by the way, whenever I go in to see my primary care provider, I make a follow-up appointment when I leave. And that is because it can be really hard to get in. And so if I wait until I'm having a problem and then I call and try to make an appointment, then I can't get in for two or three weeks. And that's really frustrating. A lot of patients will quit their own medication if the, in that scenario. And, you know, you end up back where you started. 
So whenever I leave, I make a follow-up. If you're starting a new medication, a two-week or one-month follow-up is not a bad idea. Um, And then from a provider standpoint, I love seeing my patients in follow-up. It is so much nicer um, because I know the person already. I have some background history and we're just tweaking things and, you know, it's a partnership. We're on the journey together. So I'll leave that tidbit in there. Uh, Another side effect for men is erectile dysfunction. Stay with me. Please stay with me. Um, Erectile dysfunction can be a sign of heart disease to begin with. So if you're somebody who already is dealing with that problem, make sure you let your provider know so that they can do a workup and make sure you're not already dealing with hypertension or diabetes or, you know, coronary heart disease, okay? But if you're someone who doesn't have that problem and then you start taking a blood pressure medication and develop that problem, talk to your clinician. I'm sounding like a broken record, aren't I? (laughs) Um, But really, um, I had a friend decades ago, and her husband was diagnosed with high blood pressure. He was put on some medication, and it caused him to have erectile dysfunction. You guys, he stopped taking the medicine. He had a stroke, and he was debilitated. She ended up taking care of him because he could no longer work. He could no longer take care of himself properly. And all of that was because a side effect that he didn't expect and, you know, couldn't tolerate. So there are things that we can do if you have that side effect. Um, Another side effect, depending on what kind of medication that you're given is having to go to the bathroom a lot. Um, It's water weight, you know, volume is blood pressure. And if we have excess water weight, um, we start taking certain types of medications called diuretics to help pull that water off, we're going to be running to the bathroom. This is another compliance issue because I've had patients who are truck drivers or construction workers, and they're like, I cannot take this and do my job. Now for myself, I do take a diuretic and I used to take it at night right before bed for a couple of reasons. Number one, I love to sleep and nothing gets you up like a full bladder. (laughs) But the other reason was because when I started on that medication, I was working 12 hour nursing shifts. And uh, depending on how ill your patients are, sometimes you don't get to go to the bathroom. And I know that sounds crazy and terrible, but really when you can't leave somebody's side, you know, you, you can't run and go to the bathroom on demand all the time. So, um, I started taking it at nighttime. Well, now that I'm in practice, I have more opportunities to go to the bathroom. Um, and sometimes I I call it engaging my nurse bladder. Sometimes I'll be like, Nope, I'm just going to get through my clinic and I'm not going to stop and go to the restroom. But I started taking my diuretic during in in the morning, first thing in the morning. And it's kind of cool because number one, I can sleep through the night. But number two, it makes me take a break. And this probably sounds kind of ridiculous, but my bathroom breaks are my check-in breaks. It's like, okay, I'm going to step away from everything, check in with myself, see how I'm doing, see how I'm feeling, 
coming to my body. I'm not doing all this on the toilet, y'all. I'm just saying, taking a break. And I get back right back to my work and do what I'm doing. So um, going to the restroom often can be a side effect of the medication. Now, when is it appropriate to go to the ER or a walk-in clinic versus following up with your provider? Anytime you develop a rash, okay, you start a medication, you develop a rash, that's an allergic response. People get this really confused. They think they take a medicine, it makes them sick to their stomach and they're allergic. That's not an allergic response, okay? Uh, That's an adverse reaction, but it doesn't mean that your body isn't tolerating the medicine. You might need to take it with food or something like that. But if you develop a rash, that's actually an allergic reaction. And so you probably need to um, call the clinic, ask to speak with a nurse or, um, you know, a triage nurse or leave a message, ask if you can leave a message for your provider and let them know you started taking the medicine this date and you developed a rash on this date. They would get back to you with instructions. If you develop shortness of breath or swelling like lip swelling or tongue swelling or anything like that. I'm going to need you to call 911. And this is important because um, trying to drive in and check in through the walking in channels can be very tricky. Um, The ER waiting room can be very long. You never know what's going to happen in traffic and you don't have any special lights on your car to get through traffic. And um, I've had a couple of times in my career where patients didn't make it to the hospital in time. They died en route and came in, um, you know, by then somebody called 911 and then they were coming in, you know, CPR in progress. We don't want any of that. We don't need any of that. That's what I'm here for, to give you a fair warning and let you know if you develop certain um, allergic responses, you know, if you develop an allergic response, your lip swelling, tongue swelling, shortness of breath, Call 911, please, okay? And I know a lot of people don't want to do that because of the cost. So the last thing I'm going to hip you to is financial assistance at hospitals. You have to put yourself first. If you, you can worry about the bill and die on the way, you know? And then the expenses, trust me, are a lot more than the ambulance ride. Take care of yourself first, and then when you're able to, call the hospital back and ask to speak with billing and ask about financial assistance. I have had times in my life where I got a bill um, that was astronomical. Both of my sons had seizures when they were little little guys, and um, whoo. Never know when when emotions gonna hit. <laughs> uh, it just kind of sneaks up. But there was um, one time in particular where um, my baby turned blue in my arms, and I had to rescue, breathe, and um, you know it it was a disaster. But you know we got the bill. We took care of the baby, obviously, and then we got the bill, and it was like, okay, God, you know what I do for a living. I I don't I can't pay this, and. What we ended up doing, because I have been in healthcare my entire adult life, I knew this key. I'm going to reach out to the hospital, ask to speak with financial assistance, and they will tell me what I need to do. At that point, it was just producing um, 
I think I had to fill out the application or something. And uh, I'm sure there were questions about my income. And when you follow those steps, sometimes a portion of the bill is forgiven. Sometimes the entire bill is forgiven. Um, And don't wait until something is like in collections or, you know, somebody's trying to garnish you. Don't even wait for that. Be proactive. Take care of yourself first. Then go back and figure out if there's assistance available to help you to take care of the bill. Okay, I think that does it for this week. Um, Y'all know where to find me. If you don't know, keep listening and I'll tell you. Uh, And let me know, you know, what topics you'd like me to cover, what things uh, you'd like to talk about. Otherwise, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing, hitting you with what I know hits our community hard. This is Healthcare for the Culture, and we're lit for health. listening to the purple stethoscope i'm your host devin nixon family nurse practitioner you can find me on social media at d the np that's on twitter facebook instagram and now patreon if you like what you heard go ahead and share this episode and then head over to patreon to see how you can further support this work Good.